Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to Fulhamish Extra. My name's Jack Collins and I'll be guiding you through this week with Sammy out on journalistic duties doing our interviews for us. With me I have the ever-informative Drew Heatley. Hello. And away day specialist Don Betts. Hello, hello. In order to give you everything you need about Bolton away. So without further ado, let's get on to business. Obviously, Bolton languishing down the bottom of the table, which should suggest an easy three points for the Whites. But we've seen before that these kind of physical contests don't always go in our favour. Case in point, the home fixture, where only a last minute Tom Kearney header saved us a point. What are you expecting from our trip to the Reebok, Drew? I think, uh, you know, you look at it on paper and it should be uh, a relatively winnable game. But actually, if you delve a little deeper, it's going to be uh, quite quite a tough contest. Uh, they've got 10 points from the last available uh, 18 and they're sixth in the home form table at the moment. They're a completely different prospect to the, to the side that we played in October when they were bottom with just seven points. A completely different, a complete turnaround since since then. Okay, and so so Bolton's obviously their their recent form has been been upturned. Uh, do we know you know what's caused that? What what's really been the kind of spark between Bolton's upturn in form? Well, they 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 are quite happy to sort of soak up any sort of uh, any sort of attack from it from a side. They played a, a three five one one against uh, Bristol City when they got that three five one one. Yeah, that is well rogue. We've just we've just thirty five percent possession, right? So you you can see that you know we're just going to be there trying to. I, I envisage a, a really tough afternoon of just trying to search and probe and try and unlock what what, what we can from them. I think. Uh, like we've said with uh, a lot of these winnable quote-unquote games that we've had recently, it's it's whoever scores first is gonna is likely to sort of go on and 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 win the game. Um, but with Bolton at the moment, obviously they lost Gary Medine in January, so with that they've lost God the main sum of their goals. I'm not sure how much of a percentage he to- uh, he, he took up, but he, I think he got ten goals so far for for Bolton. So you know it's going to be a big loss a big loss for them so with the 3-5-1-1 maybe Antonio Conte needs to start watching Bolton yeah. to learn how to play that formation correctly obviously Marcus Alonso has history with Bolton exactly. so obviously that's, that's where he learned to, but to I think develop what, his what's one well. thing to look at is our record at Bolton the Reebok or whatever it's bloody called now is not that good yep I've, I've been there three or four times I don't think I've seen us win there but then you could argue we didn't we hadn't won ever at the Riverside and then we have beaten Middlesbrough in the league away since like the 80s or whatever it was. So I don't think those records are sort of relevant. And I think, again, it's, it's a hard way to see how to approach this game because I always say, oh, get an early goal, it's, it's, it'll be good. But then the amount of late goals we're scoring away from home yeah. or, and even just second half goals in general, maybe that's the way we need to, maybe we need to tie them out in the first half and then catch them on the break in a second and obviously it's always nice to see the goal scored in front of you and not yeah. away from you but I think yeah it's you've got to look at three points and nothing less in this game there's no other reason not to yeah I, th- I think that's exactly right we do need to top off this 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 run that we've had uh, with, with a victory but I feel like it's going to be uh, we're going to be way to work for it it's certainly not going to be as straightforward as, as it might seem on paper you've got we, we know we know all about their uh, their combative uh, as it were midfield two of Prattley and, and Henry who were pretty horrible against us against uh, when we played them at the cottage. Uh, so that that's going to be uh, that's going to be a, a challenge to try and uh, sort of keep those guys quiet and studs on the grass. Uh, to be fair, um, but there are some. Uh, we talked about Medine going, but there are some uh, 
attacking uh, options for for Bolton. They've obviously got Sami Amiobi, who we, uh, we remember, know all about. We know all about after uh, Callas and Ream channeled I, their I best. I still don't think I've seen this complete the worst goal this season. I've seen yeah. a score a worse goal in McDonald's against Barnsley. Yeah, <laughs> well, ch- goal Cal- of the month that one. Yeah, Callas and Ream were uh, were channeling uh, Laurel and Hardy then uh, that day, weren't they? Then they uh, completely knocked into each other, and he just picked up the spoils but uh, there's also young uh, Josh Vella little uh, young 24 year old chap who, who chips in with an assist or two as well so they do have uh, they do have some uh, some outlets there to, to frustrate us but I have a feeling it's going to be uh, high possession a lot of uh, a lot of sort of patience required from, from those going up to the to the Macron have they not just signed Zach Clough again they yeah signed Zach Clough Zach Clough's a very good player yeah, and that's a, that's something probably to to worry about. That's true. Uh, but he is also very small, which doesn't fit the Bolton mold because exactly. um, obviously they are a physical team. So in, in terms of the the game itself, Dom, you've been to you've been to Bolton before. Yeah, uh, gives a lowdown on on the whole day. You know, drinking sports, well, the vibe. It's the, it, I hate it anyway, but it's been made even worse this year. <laughs> By the fact, there's no trains from Manchester oh, yeah, to, to Horwich Parkway, and it's just a pain in the arse anyway. So my thing would be get a groupier, drink in Manchester like like normally. Normally, that's what I, I do normally, drink in Manchester Piccadilly around the station. Then usually you get the train, but just get uh, just get a Grover, you can get, get a cab down to Horwich Parkway. Yeah. Uh, I think it's probably, it'll probably take like 45 minutes maybe. So as long as you leave by like... One forty-five. You should be. You should be in the ground time. And if like, because it's such a pain in the ass, just get a few drinks in the ground. It'll make your like your life a lot easier. I have as depends what time you're getting up to Manchester. I think I'm getting there probably just for midday. So I'll probably have like an hour, an hour and a half. Manchester drinking around Piccadilly Station. There's quite there's quite a few nice pubs around there. Pick, take take your pick, and then get get organised. I'll get an Uber or get a cab all the way around to Bolton. Dumb, dumb bets on the Fulhamish podcast sorting your away days yeah. since 2015 also if you've got to book train back from Manchester example my one I think it's like around 20 past 6 make sure you pre-book your cabs from Horwich Parkway to Manchester before the game don't try following after the game because you probably won't and the replacement bus takes over an hour so you'll be cutting it very very fine very short so what's the what's the day like Dom talk to me is, is Bolton is Bolton a good ground is, is the Macron somewhere that you you look forward to going to every no. year no, no, it's just gonna give me more. No, it's just it's just because it's like a it's just a, it's a pain in the arse because you're not near you're not drinking near the ground. It's not like a Barnsley yeah. or a Sheffield United where you're just drinking in the vicinity of the ground, and then you walk or get a cab or whatever. You it's it's like not it not Hortwich Hortwich Parkway's not really got anything round it. It's sort of like a retail park. Bolton isn't actually it's like a Reading job. Yeah, kind of, but it's luckily the train station is that you usually go to is right outside the stadium. Right. But obviously it's not this season. But yeah, I, as always, I recommend drinking in Manchester if you're going up by train and then just getting a cab across to the game. Just make sure you pre-book your cabs after the game because if there's five of you, five, six of you in a cab, it'll be pretty solid. Indeed. Right, so let's, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about Bolton and what they've got. What would you do as Slavisi Akanovic? I know this is obviously a loaded question because Slavisa doesn't do what any of us think he's going to do, but what would be your starting eleven for the game on Saturday? Drew, I'll start with you. I would keep it largely largely the same, if I'm honest. I might... Uh... I'd be tempted to start Mitrovic from the start, uh, just to just to see what he uh, what he can do against uh, against Bolton. They're going to be a really physical side. It'd be nice to have somebody up top who is equally as physical and you know make sure that they know they can't sort of uh, push us around. Um, you know, we've seen some of our players targeted in this so far this season. Uh, Sess is one of them, although he's you know he's put on a bit of a bit of timber. He can hold his own a bit better now, but 
it'd be nice to basically put it amongst them and show them that they just, you know, they're not going to be able to knock us around for 90 minutes. But aside from the rest of the side, like the one that started against Forest, I, I wouldn't really uh, change much. We can assume that Kearney's not going to be back. So Even if he was, would you risk him in this one? Certainly not. Is it like uh, when we were speculating whether he was going to come back against Burton? I just think, you know, against some of the uh, some of these teams that are scrapping for their lives down the bottom who aren't afraid to put in one or two uh, robust challenges, uh, it's just certainly not the game to, to bring him back in, which, you know, it, it nods to a wider problem with uh, with Tom Kearney is, you know, to bring him back from these niggling injuries that he's got, what, you know, what sort of the, what are the games that you'd want to bring him back in, you know, against, you know, the, these, these footballing sides towards the top maybe. So hopefully he'll get fit for, for at least some of these six games that we've got coming up after, after Bolton with the top, with the top teams. So yeah, I'd pretty much starting, obviously Bettinelli in goal, back four, Fredericks, Callas, Ream, Target, midfield trail, I can't see Kenny being back. So I'm going to say the same of McDonald, Johansson, Norwood, Wide left, Cess. I'm going to go Cabano, wide right. I think his pace and his directness is going to help in a game like this. And then I would start Alexander Mitrovic up front. I think we need some physical uh, to combat, obviously, the physical way that Bolton play. So I think, yeah, I would put, I would bring in Cabano. I think he, he was, a, I think it was excellent when he came on against Barnsley. Um, I am completely agree with you and was exactly what I was going to say. Um, it's obviously Lucas Piazon will feel hard done by there. We've taken him outside after he, he scored, but. It's the kind of game where, especially without a Tom Kearney to come off the bench, if we're assuming that he's still going to be injured, um, it's the kind of game that you might need a lockpick later on. And I think Lucas Piazon can be that lockpick. And he obviously has the you know the kind of guile and, and knowledge of the game to be able to do that later on in games. And especially against a tired Bolton defence, you'd back him to, to, to make an opening or two. So I think that really might be the, the movement that we want there. What are your predictions? Oh, so it is a hard one. Yeah, it's it's pretty. I think it will be a win. I don't think it's it's going to be. It will not be easy. It'll be quite. I think it'll be like a bit like a bit of a Barnsley job. I think it'll be tough in the in beginning of the game. But I think we will come away with the win. I know we we only we Barnsley got a man sent off and that helped us. But I think two 0 I'm going to say with both goals coming in the second half. I, I'm, I'm I hope Mitrovic can get get his first and then Seth to get the other off of Mitrovic's second ball, but. <sighs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to go 2-0 Fulham, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I, I can't see Bolton scoring, so it's a case of grinding out uh, probably a 1-0. Uh, a real tough, hard-fought 1-0. Uh, probably goal in the last 20. Yeah, I think Bolton will score. I I just have a feeling that Bolton will score a bundled corner or something. I'm going to go 3-1 Fulham. Uh, I think we'll go 2-1 up. And then we will score a third in the 94th minute, yeah. as, we, as we usually do. Yeah. I think that would be my, my prediction. But then we obviously need some knowledge of, of Bolton depths. And as ever, we try and get the inside line and what to expect from our opponents. And this week is no different. We sent Sammy to go have a chat with Gareth, the Bolton fan. And he started by asking him what's been behind Bolton's recent improvement in form. Uh, I think from my perspective, I think the manager under the circumstances is doing a great job. You know, Phil Parkinson um, managing the, the club under really difficult scenarios after being promoted from League One. We weren't able to strengthen at the beginning of the season and I think that showed probably a little bit underconfident. Um, but as the season's gone on and, and we've taken a few uh, big scalps, some of the bigger teams that, that are in kind of the playoff places already, I think confidence has grown a little bit. Um, so I think you've got to put it down to the manager really when uh, when the circumstances have been as they have under transfer embargoes, I think. No win until October this season. You must have feared the worst. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, as I said, you know, we knew it was going to be a challenging start after promotion, not able to strengthen. Um, you know, I think it's been pretty well documented the troubles that we've had with HMRC and the uh, buying and selling of the club's car parks to pay the tax bill. Um, I don't think it helps that the ownership of the club isn't very steady at the minute. I think that's been in the press quite a bit as well. So, you know, we had a lot of issues coming into the season. It's not a surprise. It took us a little while to settle into it. But um, I think they've done well in in recent weeks. What do do you make of Phil Parkinson? He's always been a manager I've respected. Obviously had that amazing run to the League Cup final with Bradford a few seasons ago. He seems very astute and also comes across really well on the telly. He's a manager that I wouldn't mind Fulham having if we had to. Uh, yeah, you've no chance on that. We'll, we'll keep him for now. But uh, I think, to be honest, he, he, I think he's just very grounded. I think he's, you know, he, he plays to the to the players' strengths. Doesn't try to do anything too fancy. Um, and I think he can grind out a game as well. Um, and I think that's probably been one of the turning points in recent weeks. Is you know, we've we've not been a club that scored a lot of goals this season so far, and we've fallen foul of. Um, losing the game in the last kind of 10 or 15 minutes on a few occasions. But uh, over recent weeks, I think he's really kind of skilled the game, been able to grind out a win. Um, so, yeah, I think he, he just knows what the play strengths are and, and works to it, really. Well, yeah, he's going to have to work some more miracles after the loss of Gary Medine, who's kind of been your talisman this season, not only just scoring lots of goals, but scoring really important goals, I've noticed, lots of match-winning uh, strikes in there. Can the likes of Amiobi and Zach Clough fill the void? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's going to be a challenge. I'm, I'm not sure. I think you saw at Bristol last week, we played a very different system after Medine was taken out of the side. I'm not convinced that we're, we're absolutely sure what our best system is with the players that we've brought in just yet. You know, Medine is our leading goal scorer. I think he's on 10 goals this season. The closest to him is uh, is Amiobi on, on about four or five. So, you know, we've lost a lot of goals up front, but also we've lost... Um, you know, a big man that can hold the ball up and he does that very well as well for the support players around him. Um, we brought in a couple of good players. You know, it's great to see Cluffy back at the club. Uh, we've brought in Tyler Walker on loan from Forest as well. We, so, you know, with, with Ami Obi and, and Clough and Walker up front, we've got some real pace that should worry some defences. Um, my concern, if I'm being honest, is being able to play the ball into them well enough from midfield. I think we're still a little bit weak there. Um, we've got Beavers and Wheater at front that are, you know, for me, proper old school centre halves, but certainly not ball players. So I think it'd be interesting to see how we we get a bit of service into Walker and Clough up front to. Uh, yeah, to try and get some of those goals that we've lost in the sale on Midi. Yeah, Zach Clough is a player I've always admired. And, and Abiobi, if you can get the quality into him, can pull off a piece of magic, as he did against Bristol City. Uh, he came close on a couple of, of occasions from long distance, and that goal he scored was uh, was an absolute peach into the bottom corner. Yeah, it was a great goal. And, he, you know, as you say, he was unlucky not to get two or three, I think. Um, but again, you know, the, the two lads I mentioned there in Walker and Clough, I think, Cluffy, when he came on, it was brilliant to see, you know, a real fire in his belly. He was desperate to have an impact on the game. And I think he had um, one in particular close chance, uh, missed a bit of a sitter, to be honest. But I reckon that was first game nerves back at the club. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, the guys that we brought in, they had a bright, bright first game. So that's looking promising. 
but we just need to make sure that we, we give them the service, really. Now, you mentioned it earlier, you've pulled off some pretty impressive scalps. Uh, Bristol City, obviously, last Friday, but also before that, you beat Cardiff, who were in form at the time, and also Sheffield United as well. We travelled to you with five wins on the bounce. Can you burst another bubble? Uh, well, I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the game down at the cottage, um, bit of a scrappy game, in honesty. I think mm. one all was a fair result um, on the day. So, you know, I'd like to think, you know, we've got a bit of confidence behind us. As I say, I think we've taken, um, why is it now, we've won kind of three of the last six. We've taken 10 points out of the last six games with a draw as well. So we're going in there with a bit of confidence. Hopefully these new signings will lift the dressing room a little bit and, and add to that. Um, and I think with the home advantage, I'd certainly like to see us see us take three points from you on Saturday, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was an unfortunate game, I thought, at the cottage for you guys back in October. To be perfectly honest, I don't think we actually really deserved the draw. I thought you played the game brilliantly. Um, you'd only had one win up until then, but you took the lead. It was shocking defending from us, but Amiobi did brilliantly to kind of be in there and the poacher that he is, he got his goal. And really, I thought you were unlucky to not come away with the three points from that. So I think it's going to be a tough game. Um, we're obviously travelling up to the Macron on Saturday. What's the best and worst thing about a trip to the Macron? I always want to still call it the Reebok, but the Macron it is. Yeah, well, you and me both, really. I think the uh, the toughest thing for you guys travelling north will definitely be missing out on the Golden Lion before the game, I think. Um, <laughs> the, the pubs for the uh, the away fans up at the Reebok there in Horwich isn't, uh, isn't quite as nice. Um, but yeah I think you know it should be a good atmosphere um, I think you know some good facilities around the ground so yeah it'd be a good day out for you uh, and what are your predictions for the game Gareth uh, I think and I'm, I'm fingers crossed when I say this but well, I'm going to have to go for the, the boring prediction of 2-1 I think I can't see us scoring more than that against you guys and I don't think we're sturdy enough at the minute um, to not concede but um, you know you look at some of the recent games I think if we can get a couple of goals we can grind out a win I think Well if you do manage to get a result it'll be great for you to pull away from the relegation zone obviously I'll be hoping that Fulham can make it uh, six in a row it's been a while since we've done that um, Gareth thank you for talking to Fulhamish today Yeah no worries thanks for having me guys I'll speak to you soon Alright cheers man well, Thank you to Gareth and to Sammy for putting that interview and Sammy's been out on roving duty this week so for one more we sent him for a chat with Get West London's Ryan O'Donnell well, hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here and I am joined by Ryan O'Donovan, Fulham FC reporter for Get West London. His first time on Fulhamish. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Uh, Sammy, thanks for having me, mate. Absolute pleasure. How's it going today? Yeah, very well, actually. A bit busy, but that's how I like it. Well, always busy in the world of Fulham FC. Um, so, Ryan, it's been obviously a very positive uh, month and a half for, for Fulham. Uh, an unbeaten, well, 100% starts to 2018, barring the uh, FA Cup. Uh, but we've got to firstly talk about some of those transfers that came in uh, this time last week. It was a hectic end to transfer deadline day. I imagine you were up very late. Yeah, it was a late one, all right. But it was it was looking quite quiet, to be honest, during the day. You know, once that Stefano Kako rumour transfer died, it, it looked like it was going to be a fairly quiet one at Motspur. But then 10 o'clock came and it all hit the fan, really, with Mitrovic and um, Cyrus Christie coming in. So, yeah. You know, today's not as busy as it was last week and it was definitely a late one. Obviously, uh, Matty Target had been touted from the start of the window, but how early did you hear any rumours about Mitrovic and Christie? As fans, we pretty much heard it with an hour or two to go. Did you have any kind of heads up that this might happen? No, it was pretty much the same as the fans. You know, 10 o'clock came and all of a sudden Mitrovic and Christie were being touted. So, 
yeah, they hadn't really been touted throughout the window. It was it was that day in particular, and especially that last that last hour where those names really started to be heard. Uh, and, and you were there on Saturday. Good win over Nottingham Forest. It was a tough game for us, but we came through. It got the three points. We rode our luck a little bit at stages, but you know, five on the bounce, and things are going our way at the moment. Uh, we saw the first of Alexander Mitrovic and the first home performance for for Matty Target. What did you make of those two? Well, firstly, Matty Target. You know, I was really impressed with him. You know, playing centre back and defender as a Sunday league footballer myself, not a very good one, mind you. But oh yeah, you know, I've always, I've always liked football. I've always liked defenders. So Fancies himself at the back. Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed with him and how he played on on Saturday. You know, it's something that I don't think Fulham have had all season is that out and out left back that can really attack. You know, we saw Rafa Suarez came in, but he, for whatever reason, he just didn't seem to be able to get up and down that left wing like Slavica Djukanovic wanted him. But with Matty Target, you know, it was that defender that they've lacked. You know, since Scotty Malone left the club we haven't really had someone out on that left that can attack and defend so target I thought was very good and, he, and he's delivering into the box you know, we saw both first time crosses and ones where he's linked up well with Ryan Sessignon so target I was very very impressed with and then of course we saw Mitrovic for I don't know half an hour maybe mm. and again it was, it was his link up play that I was impressed with he, he didn't have many many chances on goal he had that header cleared off the line I think yeah. but it was the way he, he won the ball in the first phase played it off to his midfielders and then busted an absolute gut to get into that box. And I think once he gets up to speed and gets that match fitness, I think that's going to be a real, real threat that Fulham have about him is the ability of, of um, Mitrovic to be able to win that ball and then get into the box to get on the end of the crosses. Do you think Mitrovic, looking back at the season once it's all over in the summer, could be a season-defining transfer? I think so. I think it's the same with Target. I think the pair of them have the ability to really be those final pieces of the jigsaw, if you like. You know, Target down the left, he gives us another outlet down left and Mitrovic up front gives us gives Fulham the ability to to get on the end of those crosses, which is something that's been lacking all season. You know, we've spoken about how the team get balls into the box, but there's never really anyone in the six-yard box to meet it. And I think Mitrovic could be that man. So with, with Mitrovic, Font and Abubakar Kamara all vying for the starting lineup, unless we're really going for it, we can't pick all three. So who would you start up top? For the moment, I think I'd, I'd stick with Font. You know, there's there's no real reason to drop him, especially with Mitrovic not being match fit. Mm. I quite like Font. I think he's a really intelligent player. And he's different than Mitrovic in that his runs brings other people into the game. Whereas Mitrovic, you know, he wins the ball and then he wants to get on to the end of him. So I think for the moment I'd start Font. There's no reason to drop him. He's been playing well. But, you know, as, as the season progresses, I think, you know, we're probably looking more at Mitrovic being the starter with, with Font coming on from the bench or Kamara. You know, he brings something different completely to the side and his sheer pace is it's frightening. And it's something Font and Mitrovic don't have. So... Going forward, you know, I think I think Mitrovic will probably be the starter, and depending on situation, it'll be either be Font or Kamara from the bench. And what role do you see Cyrus Christie having in the squad for for this latter part of the season? You know, he signed a long term deal. He's going to be here for three and a half years if he sees out his contract. So obviously, we're going to see a lot more of him in the future. But in the short term, do you think he's going to make too many appearances, or is he more going to be a deputy for Ryan Fredericks? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think with Christie, you know, there's uncertainty about Fredericks, whether he's going to sign that new deal and if he's going to be there next summer. So I think with Christie, the opportunity became available to sign him and Fulham, and Fulham took it. So I don't know if we're going to see too much of him this 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 period. I, you can't see Ryan Fredericks being dropped and, you know, there's no reason to drop him either. So if, if Christie is going to get into the side before the end of the season, he's going to have to work really hard and Fredericks is going to have to make some serious mistakes in a, in a few games to get dropped. But, you know, he, he has signed that three-and-a-half-year deal. So going forward, I, I do see Christie possibly becoming the, 
the first choice right back. So I think it's more of a signing to next season as opposed to this one. But it's great backup to have on the bench, really, in a, a player like that. Yeah, it's amazing squad depth. Have someone of Cyrus Christie uh, backing up Ryan Fredericks. Do you think that it was just kind of a one-time offer for Fulham? They had an opportunity to sign him because he'd fallen out of favour with Tony Pulis, and they thought, look, he doesn't necessarily fit into what we need this season. We don't desperately need uh, Christie in order to boost our team, but it'll add squad depth, and he's also just a great player to have for the future. I think so. Yeah, I think I think what it shows is good planning by the recruitment team. You know, he he became available. It, it wasn't too big of a fee, and they weren't having any competition from anyone else like they might have in the summer. So I think signing him now, you know, they would have obviously said to him, you know, this, this is more for the future. You're probably not going to play as much this season like you will next season. So he, he'll know what he's getting into. But I think it's great planning by the recruitment team. Obviously, at the beginning of, of the transfer window, we all heard about that infamous press conference. You were there. Slav kind of kicked off, really, didn't he, about... Fulham's perceived lack of ambition in this transfer market. Now, it was early days and it was quite clear that any signings that were going to come in were going to be done uh, at the last minute on the whole. But he wanted three signings. He's got three signings. Do you think his little performance in that press conference actually worked? Do you think it changed anything? Or do you think actually, no matter what he'd have done, Fulham would probably have made these signings anyway? Yeah, I don't think it changed too much. You know, it wouldn't be a transfer window without Lita going a little bit mental in a press conference like transfers. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it changed too much. You know, obviously, the Tony Khan recruitment team felt the squad was strong enough the way it was at the start of the window. And, you know, looking at it, you can't argue too much with it. They were doing well and they have continued to do well over January. So you can't argue too much with that. They brought in Target, which was a good signing. But with the two signings on deadline day, you know, I think the striker was was one that was always going to come in. Whether it was going to be Mitrovic or someone else was, is a different matter entirely. But with Christie, I, th- I think it's just the the fact that he became av- available and they wanted it because Djokanovic wanted a centre-back. Christie isn't that centre-back. So although he's got his free signings, he's got the left-back he wanted, he's got the striker he wanted. He still hasn't got that centre-back, which he's been after for God knows how long. So... I think I think he's delighted with it, but I don't think his his little outburst will have had much to do with how the recruitment team went about their business this January. What's your view on the centre back situation? I think we all said on Fulhamish that that was the signing more than anything we wanted. I didn't actually agree with the boys so much on that. I thought a left back was more important than a centre back, and we achieved that. What What was your thoughts? Do you think that Fulham would have benefited from trying to bring in another centre back? Jack mentioned someone like Angus McDonald, who did in the end move uh, to Hull in this transfer window. So there were some players about, but Fulham, for one reason or another, decided not to go for it. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen a centre-back come in. I mean, I've said many times in my articles that defences win championships. So, you know, bringing in target was a good signing. But I would have liked to have seen a maybe an experienced centre-back come in and, and just give that defence a little bit of a boost. Because you look at it now, although you've got Dennis Adoy, who's proved he can deputise as a centre-back, if, if Callas or Ream get injured, suspended, whatever, and Adoy comes in to replace him, you've got very little on the bench in terms of, of replacements. You know, Marcelo Jallo obviously doesn't doesn't look up to this level and Slavita doesn't doesn't fancy him. So yeah, I think another centre back would have just given Fulham that little bit of leeway going into this last period, you know, to in case Callas Rim get injured, suspended or, or just a drop of form that they could have brought someone in that could have done a, a real good job. I, I rate Dennis Doyle, I think he's done great when he's come in, but I don't think he's gonna win a side promotion playing at centre back. Obviously, I feel like Slav has one mood, but you do also uh, speak to the Fulham players every now and again. Um, how much has the mood of them 
changed over the last few months. We were clearly struggling uh, in the autumn and we're as low as 17th, but now we've won quite a few games on the spin. Can you feel a bit more of a positive attitude coming from the players off the back of that sequence of results? Yeah, I think when they weren't winning, there was a lot of soul-searching going on and a lot of questions being asked of one another and themselves, really, about what was going wrong. But now, at the moment, it, it feels like the Fulham of last season. There's there's a real good atmosphere about the place. You know, everyone's got a smile on their face pretty mm. much constantly. You know, a, a lot, a, a good part of it is morale, and morale has a lot to do with form. And at the moment, the morale with the, the team looks, looks really, really high. So, yeah, there is a different mood about the players. You know, they've, they've got a lot of confidence in themselves now, which perhaps was missing. You know, I think about after the Brentford defeat and the team looked shell-shocked really after that game. Mm. And now you look at it now and they, they, they look completely different. They act completely different. So I think morale is, is, is really high at the moment. Uh, the, I think the only negative really about the team at the moment is Tom Kearney and the situation, what's going on there. We feel a bit left in the dark as to what's happening. He went to Shanghai last week to try and get a prognosis for what exactly is wrong with his knee. What do you know about the situation? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the same stuff that's been peddled all season, really, in that he's got a knee injury and no one really quite quite knows what's wrong with it. You know, he's, he's suffered with it since pre-season. He's had a few a few doctors try and diagnose what it is, but no one can come back and say what exactly it is. So it, it is concerning, you know. I spoke to, the last time I spoke to Djukanovic about it, he said that he was working back with the team, but then of course he missed that trip to Barnsley and he ended up going abroad for the, for, for treatment on it. So it isn't. It's a strange one. No one can really say what's wrong with it at the moment, and that's the concerning bit. In that it's, we're into February now. He's had it since I don't know July, August. And no one can still quite put their finger on what's wrong. And that's what really concerns me about it. If you're a betting man, do you expect to see him much for the rest of the season? Or are we going to just have to prepare for the rest of the season without him? It's a good question. You know, at the moment, it's looking like he's he's not going to play a major part in, in the next 16 games or whatever's left. But again, he, with this knee injury, there's been times where he's looked back to his best and it, it doesn't look to be affecting him. But then two weeks later, he'll be back on the treatment table. So, you know, I, I really don't know... I, at the moment, it's not too much of a concern because I think that midfield three are just finally starting to click. You know, Johansson looked look back to his best on Saturday and Nord has slotted into that role fairly well and Djokanovic likes him. So it's not too much of a pressing issue at the moment. But, you know, a, a team with Tom Kanian is always better than a team without. Speaking of Johansson, this is an interesting one. His celebration on Saturday, he, um, put his, he shushed the Hammersmith end effectively and we were talking about well I wasn't talking because I was one on the podcast but the boys were talking on Monday is about how that has come about if we remember Bobby Zamora back in the day he shushed the Hammersmith end but there was there was audible groans coming from all parts of the stadium of uh, his performances in the first season so you kind of understood where he realized that the fans were on his back let's say I would say with Steph Johansson the only real negative opinions have been on social media on, and on message boards, if anything. I don't think there's been anything too audible at games. So I found his reaction after scoring that goal on Saturday interesting. Do you have any idea how Steph Joe may have heard about some of the negativity from the fans? Or is it just, it was a celebration and we're really way too much into it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So I picked it up when I saw the photo that Snapper took and he got quite good photos of Stephanie Hansen shushing everyone. So... But I, I, I don't know where it's come from unless he, you know, he's one of those that likes to see what other people's opinions of him are. He does read message boards and stuff like that. I, I can't see where he would have heard it from the crowd. I've not heard anything in the crowd about Stefan Johansson. Maybe the whole noise about when he was playing the false nine and how he wasn't playing too well, you know, 
in both the media and, and the fans. He might have got, got winded out or whatever, but yeah, it was an interesting one for him to do. But he, he does look back to his best, and he did have a very good game on Saturday. Yeah, and it's excellent to see because I think when we've got a player like Steph Joe firing and he's bombing up and down the pitch, it only benefits our team. And yeah, it was it was brilliant as well to cap it off with a goal on Saturday. Uh, just before we finish, Ryan, a quick word on Ryan Sessegnon. He's the person that everybody's talking about. Is he the best 17-year-old in the world at the moment? I think he is, yeah. You know, you, there, there, it doesn't look like there's any other 17-year-old doing what he's doing. And in the summer, you had the whole thing about Phil Foden, about how great he was and how good he was but he's not getting the games that Ryan Sessegnon is getting and he's not scoring the goals Ryan Sessegnon is getting you know you look at Ryan Sessegnon on the pitch he's 17 years old but he looks like he's a established championship player at the age of like 26, 27 you would never think he's a 17 year old so yeah I think you would have to say he's, he's the best 17 year old in the world at the moment How have you met Ryan? I've met him but I've never spoken to him properly Okay, interesting. I just be, I just love to know an insight as to what he's like when you meet him in person. Uh, you know, if he seems he seems very level-headed in the few amount of interviews that Fulham have let him do. But as you say, he's so calm and composed, and above his years on the football pitch, it'd just be interesting to see what he's like off the pitch as well. I guess we'll uh, probably find out more about his character in the coming years as maybe. Uh, whatever football team he's playing for kind of relents that press control over him. Um, Ryan, just a quick plug for your podcast, which is done every couple of weeks, the All White podcast. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, we do it. We tie it in with our coverage on Get West London. You know, we try and get it out every week. But obviously, you know, shift rotors and stuff like that doesn't always allow that. But yeah, it's called It's All White and it's just a tie-in to the coverage we give on Get West London. And you can download that presumably on all podcast apps? Yeah, I think it's on all podcasts. It's definitely on iTunes and we put a link on our website whenever one goes up. So yeah, you can get it there. Definitely make sure you give that a subscribe. I've listened uh, a fair few times. It's always good to get your insight particular, in particular, Ryan, because you have that kind of inside knowledge from the club. You're there at press conferences. You're there every game. You're speaking to the players. So it's definitely well worth subscribing uh, if you fancy another Fulham channel in your life. Ryan, I hope we get another result this weekend and uh, hopefully speak to you soon on Fulhamish. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Take care, Ryan. Well, thank you to Ryan for that interview. Obviously, loads of insight about the transfer window and the dealings at Fulham there. Thank you to Sammy as ever. And thank you to the two boys in the studio, Drew Heatley. Cheers. And Don Betts. Thank you very much. Enjoy wherever you're watching Bolton from this weekend. We'll be back on Monday with a full cast reviewing everything Bolton and another preview episode next week. We're very excited for this weekend. Come on, you whites, as ever. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Who gives you extra? Who? Who? Fulhamish do. do.